0: I can hear my air conditioning. Let me see. I want to fight it. Okay. Anyway. That's
1: good, that means it's working.
0: <laughs> that is true.
1: So okay. it could not be working.
0: <laughs> so it's, um it's the full swing of summer is in effect here in central Texas. I don't know about in, in Virginia. Is that the case?
1: It is absolutely the case. It is so hot right now.
0: I think it was uh, maybe a hundred degrees when I went outside today. And and it's funny because I installed the drip irrigation system that I was talking about last week and it's been working well, but I have one okra plant that's like super melodramatic (laughs) and it gets, it acts like it doesn't get water twice a day. And so every time it like, it's the middle of the day, it just like droops and just looks so sad. It just, it's a drama queen
1: it is sometimes this heat makes me sad too though so i relate to your okra plant i was
0: gonna say maybe the the heat does bring out bring out the uh, drama queen and everyone
1: <laughs> do you
0: have a black thumb
1: are you wondering what the word horticulture means are you a little bit seedy a little shady
0: do you stand in the garden and wonder what the f- am i doing
1: do you look at people's yards and wonder what the f- are they doing
0: if so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon.
1: And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more.
0: Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast.
1: Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. Hey. So what are we talking about on our episode today?
0: Oh, so this week's episode is actually really, really cool um, with Mr. Charles, who's going to be talking to us all about tropical plants, about different kinds of Asian vegetables, about the fact that he has an orchard, and he's the one that said he was not a farmer.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, do you remember, wasn't this our guest that when we invited him, he kept saying he wasn't a real gardener, and then just proceeded to tell us about how he is the most garden-y gardener that we've ever met
0: (laughs) exactly and 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 listeners you'll hear there's one point at around I think minute six so so first this episode's going to be broken into two parts but this is going to be part one because it was such a it was a long episode and it was such great information that we got and want to share with you all and um and the first part at about minute six his wife actually comes into the the podcast like kind of accidentally but it was so sweet so I left it in because it was really cute and and we really enjoyed having her kind of not knowing what was going on
1: (laughs) It was good. absolutely so. Settle back and listen in. Hope you learned something. First things first, um, Charles, we'd like to know how your journey as a gardener started. So, can you tell us a little bit about when you started gardening and when you first became interested?
2: Well, gardening's always been part of my life. My grandmother and grandfather had a ranch, and they always grew food on the ranch, both. Fruits and vegetables. They had uh, trees and, and a large vegetable garden, and they had their own cattle and cows and horses and whatnot. And they were subsistence farmers. It was expected that all of the family would come out and help in the garden. You were used to shucking peas or tearing down ears of corn or you know whatever it took, hoeing a row and getting the weeds out. Uh, so it's all, always been part of what we did. And then many of the homes that I lived in had fruit trees. So we had plum trees and apple trees and crab apple trees, pear trees. Instead of letting the fruit go to rot, mom and dad would always send us out to pick up all the fruit. And then, of course, that meant we had to do the canning. We'd always be busy with the canning and things with mom, and mom would get some rhubarb and strawberries or peaches and make a wonderful pie, and we'd all celebrate with a nice cobbler or peach pie. So it was it was part of my youth growing up. Of course, there were those that you liked and those that you didn't. <laughs> uh, to this day, I'm reluctant to grow kale. <laughs> spinach is not my favorite
1: everybody hates spinach and kale
2: (laughs) i don't shuck peas in fact my brother growing up he would always take the peas and he would put them in his napkin when nobody was looking (laughs) but that said um it's it's been a lot of fun and then there's always the specialty fruits like the cherry tree that the neighbor had one neighbor had a pie cherry tree so a sour cherry Another had a Bing or a, and a Rainier cherry tree. So you had your sweet cherries for uh, kind of taking to school in a little baggy. And they were always fresh. And mm-hmm. They're so much better straight off the tree.
0: Exactly, where did you grow up at? What area are we talking?
2: We grew up in, in the uh, Everett, Washington area. Okay. The Northwest. Um, so some of your more exotics, we didn't have. Now, of course we had our walnut trees and chestnuts and things like that hazelnuts things like almonds no those were those were a Californian nut that was no um very very healthy but right. we, we didn't grow it but that's kind of how we got started when i bought my first home uh i ended up joining arbor day foundation and they would send out a quarterly box of twigs and over the years i got to see those twigs grow into bushes and grow into trees Most of them were, were like dogwoods or, or pear trees, or, you know, a flowering pear or a flowering cherry, not an actual fruit producing tree or not one that we would eat the deer might. Um, (laughs) But that was how we got started. And then it just kind of morphed into, well, what else can we do? How can I make the border of my yard look better by using bushes, shrubs and trees? Mm -hmm. And so started looking at Weeping cherry trees and Bradford pear and crepe myrtle and then it's like well okay well growing up, we had the fruits, so how do we incorporate that and so now every year I I buy 10 trees, I choose a theme and I plant those 10 trees, some may be potted plants some may be raised. Most of the trees that you grow, you do want to put some sort of raising to them. Otherwise you create a pot itself where the, you can get root rot. Mm-hmm. So you want to raise it out of the ground a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It became a hobby. I've lost a lot of trees, but I've grown a lot of trees. So that was kind of how we got started with that.
1: Very cool. So very cool. So you've done a little bit of everything and it sounds like it's been a part of most of your life. Essentially, oh, yes. yeah.
2: Then being in the army, we were always about uh, survival and subsistence. Mm. We were always learning. Okay, you need to have meats, fruits, and vegetables, and and canning, and ready for the next big event, whatever that might be. So you would dehydrate a lot of foods, use fruit dehydrators, dry out your meat barbecues, things like that. Salting the meats, having freezers, that just became part of the journey
0: that sounds amazing so what can you talk a little bit about currently what gardening zone are you in now where where are you located in the in the U.S. kind
2: of well we're in the Chesapeake Virginia area for our house but I also have property in the Fayetteville North Carolina area and property in Mississippi
0: and do you have trees and things on all the properties
2: so everywhere I go my friends call me Johnny Appleseed or Mr. Blueberry (laughs) Because everywhere I grow, I I, I plant blueberry bushes. Oh, because blueberry wow. is the most sustainable, high antioxidant fruit with a quick return on investment. Hmm. So I've got blueberry bushes on every property I've ever owned. So the Chesapeake property is in Seven Alpha and Seven Bravo is kind of right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Fayetteville is in Eight Alpha and Hattiesburg, Mississippi, is right on the edge of Eight Bravo Nine Alpha. Okay. So I can get a few more. Uh, not really tropicals, but more of your citrus type delights. Uh, a little further south. Uh, now you can grow those. Uh, much much further north, but you have to have a hot house or a place to store them for four to six months. Uh, because you don't want them to drop below fifty degrees.
1: Hello, hello.
2: That's Marcelo Sarios, honey.
1: What kind of meeting (laughs)
0: is?
2: It's about fruit trees and vegetables.
1: That's
0: why it says. Break-lip meeting? How come they got grandma, grandpa, the uh, lemon, uh, blah, blah, blah? <laughs> no. You told me this a
2: meeting, not meeting.
0: No, the city,
2: the city, uh, set this up. They wanted to talk about fruit huh. and vegetables.
1: OK. Yeah. It's very nice to meet you. Yes. Uh, yeah. And she's the
2: reason I got into some of the more uh, strange fruits and vegetables.
1: Yeah. Um, can you tell me, can you tell us a little bit about those? Um, so it that journey like...
2: began when we started going to the Asian markets and she would buy these exotics. They would be so expensive. For example, a, a passion fruit or a dragon fruit it can be $3 or $6, depending on what you're buying. Oh, wow. Dragon fruits are really fragrant, flowerful. Uh, they're, they're very beautiful, but they taste very much like a a more solid kiwi.
0: Yes. I tell White people purple in color. When people ask about what a dragon fruit tastes like, so I spent a lot of time in Asia. And so that's kind of some of the reason why I got really into growing a lot of the kind of more Asian vegetables as well out here in my garden. And so it was because a lot of them at the time, when I returned back from uh, Asia the first time, in Japan particularly... You couldn't get a lot of those vegetables, a lot of those greens that I was able to get when right. I was back in Japan. So I started growing myself. I spent a lot of time in Thailand and then it's kind of Southeast Asia and uh, Vietnam. And so I ate a lot of dragon fruit. So people would ask me, what does dragon fruit taste like? And I'm like, it tastes like water. Um, uh, sometimes it has a it's a more subtle flavor than it,
1: I it's would better think than water, was. but it's better than
0: <laughs> water, but
1: <it's>... you're not <laughs> selling it. You're not selling I know, it. Shannon.
2: And, and I realize it has the consistency maybe of a light pear or a a immature kiwi or a watermelon that's yes. not quite ripe. Right. Yes. Okay. It 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 has that nice white and, and purple, and it's got all the seeds in the fruit, so you're mm-hmm. getting a lot of antioxidants. Hmm. huge antioxidants yeah so passion fruits and star fruits and dragon fruits phenomenally good and they're wonderful in the blender yes i have a hard time putting six dollars in my blender
1: understandable (laughs) totally understandable
2: i rail at starbucks so uh (laughs) (laughs)
0: no that's that's really great um that you are growing a lot of these things so we can we can talk a little bit about what you're growing now so you have an orchard would you say that it's an orchard and can you talk a little bit about when people talk about orchard farming what do they mean what is an orchard
1: before you answer that question i do want to say like (laughs) not to cut you off but when i asked you to be on this podcast he goes and says, I am not much of a gardener, and then proceeds with, I have an orchard. So <laughs> yes. we have many follow-on questions. <laughs>
2: sure. From a gardening standpoint, you need a lot of open space directly in the sunlight, and it takes a lot of daily care. With an orchard, you can step back and work in three-week cycles. Okay. Orcharding is a Purposed set of growing specific types of trees in an ordered fashion. In my case, I kind of micro orchard because I don't grow all of one type and I don't grow lots of any type. But I grow enough that I can cross pollinate because cross pollination is essential, even if you have self pollinators. You'll get higher yields and bigger fruits. You'll also have less, you'll have more resistance to disease when you have a larger number of fruits now that said you've got to protect against the disease and i'll talk about that a little later so in my micro orcharding i have different sections of my properties that are designated for different kinds of trees also different trees take different areas and some trees are incompatible with others a very good example is black walnut yes. black walnut will kill virtually any other tree that grows around it
3: oh
2: it leeches into the soil, a a chemical, and I can't remember what it's called, Um, but it basically kills everything around it. So it can absorb all the nutrient itself Mm. and they're very big trees. So they have uh, a very big root base as well. So typically you plant uh, a black walnut with initially a 15 foot differential, and then you thin it, and then you harvest the wood and sell the wood while you still have the nut harvest of the larger trees as they grow. So it's a perpetual thing. Now, the beautiful thing about walnut is a lot of the limbs as they fall, and nut trees are typically relatively brittle. So you'll have a, a, a fair amount of debris every year. The wood is highly praised by people who are doing fine furnishings, boxes, woodworking, and gunstocks. And in my line of work, people pay a lot of money for walnut gunstocks. <laughs>
0: There you so, go, guys. Has, hashtag walnut gun stocks. There you, go, you go. Next business.
2: <laughs> walnut wood is extremely valuable after about 20 or 30, 20, 25 years, a large walnut tree, if grown correctly. So you want to take all the lower limbs off of it to allow it to grow as straight as possible. After 20 years or so, one tree can be worth 15 to 20,0. Wow. How
0: how big does a walnut tree typically get? How tall?
2: They will get roughly 30 to 40 feet across and as much as 60 70 feet tall. Wow, they're very large trees! So, you plant your initial acre, an initial acre with walnut, I think, is about eight by ten when you plant it, and then you thin it. So, you go from 80 to 40 and 40 down to about 25 plants, 24 plants over time, you can do some micro gardening in between of things like berries and some other nut trees outside of the drip line. But as the tree grows taller and taller, that drip Mm -hmm. line gets broader and broader and less. There's less that you can actually grow between the trees. I do like to do uh, mixed in with my black walnuts, English Carpathians, Uh, white walnuts. Those are more your standard walnut for your cooking they have the 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 really pretty shell black walnuts can be a little tarry and and difficult to to crack the husk so they're a little messy but again the the pulp of the black walnut is highly prized uh, by by cooks
0: all of those sound like good names for a band like english carpathians and the black walnuts and the white walnuts
3: (laughs) (laughs) hi there seed in the shade here with some interesting facts about black walnut the black walnut tree Scientifically known as Juglans nigra is one of North America's most valuable and beautiful native trees It's easily worked close-grain wood has long been prized by furniture and cabinet makers for its attractive color and exceptional durability The seed of the fruit or nut is also edible And the fruits husk is used to make a dye Despite all the positives the black walnut tree also has a dark side The roots of the tree exude a chemical called juglone, which is a natural herbicide. It inhibits the growth of many plants under and around the tree. This limits competition, leaving more water and nutrients for itself. So, if you're thinking about planting a black walnut on your property, just remember, they kind of like to be left alone. Until next time.
0: You tell us, um, um, Charles, how big is the space that you have on the property you're on now? Like, uh, uh, so I'm trying, I'm getting uh, trying to get an idea of kind of how much space you would need. I guess it would depend on what kind of trees you were trying to grow. So, I guess a better question is, what's the smallest space that you think someone would need to have to start kind of like a micro orchard?
2: So, it, it depends on your desire. A minimum space to me would be a half acre, but if you're just doing one or two varieties and you're doing dwarfs. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you can do dwarf trees in pots, so you can move them around. And for potted trees, you can put them on your porch. You can bring them in my citrus and my tropicals, of course, have to be brought in. So most of my garden at home comes into the garage or into a shed and comes back out in the summertime or onto the screen porch, the olive trees, which are a little more hardy, they can stay out on the screen porch. There's enough protection from the frost. You can do as, as small as, as you want, depending on what the actual desired yield is. I like to do my blueberries in oak casks. So I'll take and go get two wine casks, cut them in half and then plant blueberries in them. I'll use one of them for tre- trellising uh, strawberries. And that way I have different strawberries, uh, but really easy to maintain and easy to fertilize. Uh, and then you just cut the heads off at the end of the summertime and throw leaves over the top and let them uh, do their thing so they can come back the next season.
0: And any place uh, is there, I know we kind of, you mentioned earlier, um, as far as the site for an orchard or like a micro orchard, as long as it gets good sun, you would say that that's probably a decent place to well, have it.
2: Sun is essential, mm-hmm. but you also have to check your soil pH balance. You have to have the right soil for the right type of tree. Now you can amend your soil. And I've done that in some cases, And that's usually where you used a raised bed, uh, where you would amend the soil. Most trees like sandy loamy soil more than they like clay soils. There are a few exceptions to that. Clay soils tend to lend themselves to root rot. So you typically want a nice loamy soil for most of your trees. The land I have in Fayetteville is extremely poor. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not good for growing trees. I had to do a lot of amendment. I've lost a lot of trees over the years. Uh, But I've also been successful in another set of trees as well. So (laughs) I've had some trees that have turned out dwarfs just because of the soil.
1: Interesting.
2: Beautiful thing about dwarfs is they're easy to pick the fruit.
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) exactly. That makes sense, especially for somebody like me, no taller than five foot three. So I think a dwarf tree sounds perfect for. Yeah, my
2: my great uncle Carol had a a, had a uh, an apple picker and a cherry picker, and they're just these little baskets that would hook onto the fruit, and you'd shake the fruit, and it would fall into the Little basket on a long pole, and as a kid, that was always fun. He'd send yeah. us out, pick the apples, pick the pears, pick the peaches off of a tree that we weren't allowed to climb in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, um, for an orchard, how many trees should a gardener start out with? Is it necessary to plant a lot of trees to get to get it fruit? Is not okay.
2: So, there's a lot of self-pollinating trees for your your basic backyard gardener. Uh, self-pollinating dwarf trees tend to be the the best choice. But like I said earlier, the more crop pollinating you can do, the better. Typically don't buy the same fruit tree, but uh, buy the same genus of tree. So that maybe you got a Bing and a Rainier cherry because they will take in, they will flower at the same time. And so the pollinators can go, but they aren't an inbred fruit. It's for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. um so you're cross-pollinating like types but they're not the same Got it. um when you grow things from seed not all not always will uh, the seed emulate the parent so that's kind of unique uh you may have a a fruit tree that's a great producer and the tree that comes off of it based on a seed it may not be
1: interesting
2: it may not grow the same it may not taste the same
1: that's when the apple so, falls far from the tree yeah I see what uh, you did there, (laughs) Marcella.
2: But if you graft it on grafting stock, uh, you're more likely to get a similar uh, tree. So, So grafting is another art form that that many uh, micro growers have to learn.
0: I was going to ask about that. So, when you go, are most of the trees that if you buy a kind of a, a, I don't know what the same equivalent of a seedling is, and maybe it's a seedling tree. I don't know this equivalent, mm-hmm. but um, if you buy a tree like that, is, are they typically already grafted? or grafted, correct? When you buy them just from like a garden center?
2: Yeah, if you buy them from a garden center, they're almost for sure grafted. Um, if you buy them from a grower, they're typically grafted if you want any production. So the graft stock usually has a better root base and feeds the tree better than what its natural root stock would provide. You can buy grafting stock from many of the different orchards and trim off your yearlings. So the the really light green part of your tree. Mm-hmm. So as the tree grows, you can always see where its yearling is, hmm. and you cut it down at the bottom of that yearling. Strip out all the leaves except the top three or four leaves. Trim up the bottom to a nice little forty five make a cut, a grafting, wrap it. Uh, sometimes you might uh, attach a banana inside the wrapping. The wrapping, the banana provides uh, some nutrient and set that in the pot and let that mature for 45 days or so.
1: Can you break down what, what you mean by grafting for some of us beginner gardeners?
2: Grafting is the process of taking a root stock of one tree and taking a yearling growth of another tree and whittling them together. So okay. I'm, I'm I'm making a cut and I'm sticking the new tree in it. And then I'm putting a, a salve or a bandaid okay. around the joint. And that will heal and it'll probably swell to a knuckle.
3: Okay.
2: And below the graft is the grafted stock. So anything that grows out of the grafted stock, you want to trim away because you don't want grafted stock to grow. You want okay. the new stock, to so you're first thing the nutrient into the new stock. So that that's that's pretty much the process. There, my uh, friend that comes around and helps me with my gardening would be able to explain that quite a bit better. But <laughs> thank long, you. We no, have long conversations about that, and <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're super... always trying to get things to root and see if they'll grow.
1: Gotcha. A lot of experimentation is what I'm hearing.
2: There is. There really yeah. is. But it's fun. Yeah. You just have, you have to one, be patient and two, not worry about failure.
0: <laughs> I'm learning that now with the sad blackberry that I have.
2: Uh. Well, <laughs> I'm, when I'm I lived in time. an apartment, we used to call the balcony, the balcony of death. Because <laughs> nothing would, would grow on that balcony. Oh man.
0: I have one part of my garden that I call the ICU and that's where I put everything <laughs> that's in intensive care. There's some color greens in intensive care right now, but um so when, when you're thinking of uh, growing a, planting a fruit tree, is there a better time of the year to do it, or does it not matter when you kind of start growing them?
2: I've planted them all different seasons, but the most successful, typically I like to get them in in the late fall before the frost. That way they get one chill season in, because all your fruit trees will take and have to have a certain period of chill. Uh, some will be 300 hours, 400 hours, 600 hours, 800 hours, a lot of your stone fruits so that's something to look at what what are your chill hours for your zone because if you don't have some substantial chill you won't get fruit stock
0: can you talk about the chill hours a little bit so exactly what does that mean
2: that's times when the temperature and i can't remember the exact it might be below 40 might be yeah i think it's below 40 might be 54. the temperature drops below that and the the plant is exposed For those hours so it might be two hours three hours five hours at night typically is where you have your chill zone during the harsh winter uh, it's all day but it allows that tree to wrap itself in its own blanket if you will and focuses energy inward and down so it's focusing its energy on survival not on its leaves so it's on its root and its base its trunk Mm -hmm. Um, but it needs that in order for when it warms up it to push out the the new growth so it's it's storing up the energy to release it later if you will okay that that's makes sense. kind of my layman's ex- example of it no yeah.
0: that's a very that's a very good explanation because i actually, i understand that last time i asked someone i was still like i don't get it but i understand <laughs> <what> you just
1: <laughs> you broke it down well for us <laughs> yes. so you alluded to this earlier you mentioned pests and like taking care of you know those when they become a problem so are pests a problem in an orchard and how do you handle them when they come up
2: they are and different varieties of, of fruit require different techniques for example the june bug it's a terrible bug that we have in north carolina consistently and it attacks my stone fruits so oftentimes i have to go out and pick them off of the the tree which that's no fun a lot of people don't like picking off bugs you can blow them off and they swarm so they'll be swarming around you <laughs> I have experienced
0: Um, that, and that is, in fact, the truth. Yes.
2: But they're voracious eaters, and they'll eat all the leaves, and they'll eat all the pestles and flowers, and you won't have anything left. Mm -hmm. So you have to blow them out. You have to take and pick them off. But another way to help prevent that is during the dormant period, use horticultural oil or dormant oil, also another name for it. Uh, in the late fall and early spring, and you spray that down and that kills a lot of the bug seeds and eggs. Gotcha. And it also makes it less likely for the, the bugs to come back to the tree. Also, uh, during the summer months, when you have to be careful of using oils, you can spray them down, uh, with a uh, light concentrate of dish soap and water, which yeah. also makes the leaf less likely to be ingested by the bug. Uh, A mixture of cayenne or cinnamon uh, will work. I do a lot of organic. I don't like to use heavy pesticides. One great organic that works really well in the spring and the fall uh, as the tree is maturing uh, or coming into its new season uh, is neem oil. Neem is a nut that is grown in India and they extract the oil from the nut so it's completely organic. Usually just a, a little cap full of neem oil to about a gallon to two gallons of water Uh, Take it out in a sprayer and spray everything down. Now, of course, when it rains, you got to respray, but that does help keep the bug population down.
0: Yes, every time a box shows up from Amazon, my kids are like, "Is it neem oil?" And I'm like, "Mind your business," because it probably (laughs) is neem oil. So yes, I go through quite a bit of that. So So, neem
2: oil is is a really good product, and it's completely organic. Yes. So and I like I said, I try to stay to the organics. The problem with doing organics is you have to do it more. Mm. Not less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the process is more cumbersome and you physically have to go inspect everything uh, with a routine period of time. Uh, that's mm-hmm. true in the in the garden as well as the orchard. Yes uh, Also in the garden you want to have some protective fencing because you not only have pests, you have rodents and birds
3: mm.
2: And the rodents they, 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 they especially the bunnies, they love my my winter collection. Uh, so they'll get into my bok choy and my lettuce and my kohlrabi and others
1: those dang bunnies
2: I have, yeah
0: i have Grab a them by the leg
2: and you can have stew oh
0: <laughs> i have a squirrel i have a squirrel that i i sent marcella a photo and i have a squirrel that likes to sit in my bok choy it's i don't know he just likes to go sit there and look around at the rest of the garden and you mentioned birds birds have a lot of audacity let me tell you they uh yes, do. they they will just yeah they they will steal everything out of your garden and then buddies a
2: a great way to to handle birds is on either side of your garden have some trellising Uh, use pvc pipe with a net so that you can roll it up on the 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 pvc pipe and then you can drop the pvc pipe back down Mm -hmm. okay and that's one way to keep some netting especially during the the fruitful period
1: yeah okay
0: i definitely might try that
1: a lot of creative
0: ideas yeah for sure yes yes charles can you talk a little bit about how do you handle like irrigation for an orchard and and fertilizing the plants the trees
2: well i like to harvest a lot of my water off of my eaves so i'll collect it in in like a 50 or 100 gallon uh, container that i try to keep about five feet off the ground that becomes my natural source of water and then that runs into a series of, of drip lines and so i just put one little drip line to each of the the individual plants and that's one way that i can keep from having to water all the time you still have to monitor the amount of water your plants are getting so you might have to increase or decrease the amounts coming out of that that little tap and you want to deep water at least once a month um so come out and and pour a, a a good two to five gallon bucket on the plant and just let it saturate in but you don't want to do that often because it's got to dry out you don't want root rot especially when you're initially planting the plant uh, you want to have those roots because most of the plants that you're going to buy from orchards to keep from nematodes and other things, they're going to come as bare root. They're not going to come with dirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to get dirt back around those those root hairs, and that's why you want to saturate the the plant. With some of your more uh, tropicals or citrus, uh, you want to have high drainage. So coconut core. Uh 511 mix uh with uh perlite number three and bark. Um those things really uh pan out well.
1: This has been part one of our conversation with Charles. Please tune in next week for part two. This has been the Seedy and Shady AF podcast.
0: Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening.
1: We believe in you and we believe in your plants.
0: Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at CD and Shady Pod.
1: Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady.
0: And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening.